following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, well, like I said, we're wrapping up our Upside Down series this morning through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And so let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So our teaching series through Matthew chapter 5 ends today, and Jesus saves possibly the most upside-down saying in the Beatitudes for last. Happy are those who are persecuted. Be glad, rejoice and be glad if you are being persecuted. This is what Jesus is telling the crowds of thousands of people who have gathered around him, who are listening to his words. How can he say, rejoice and be glad, when there is affliction, when there is persecution, when people are trying to kill you because of your beliefs? Cheer up. Now, I think that there's one of two options going on here. Either Jesus is, he's very insensitive, he's a, a new pastor, he's a new preacher, he hasn't really lived much of life, and he, he's very naive his, in his understanding of how life works. And so he's not really considering what it's actually like to be persecuted. He has no idea. He's foolish. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or a second option is, these are the words of God who has seen behind the curtain who has seen all outcomes, all things, with perfect clarity. He sees with perfect vision. And he is able to see these things because he holds all things in his hands. He sees the mystery of persecution, the mystery of joy in persecution. And if that first option is a possibility, if, if, these, if Jesus is insensitive, if he's naive, if he doesn't really get it, then, then we should... I should pray. I should just close right now. We should wait for El Wello next week, and we should, just, we should just kind of wrap up what we're doing here. Maybe not even pray. Let's just, like, stop. But if option number two is, is a possibility, which I think it is, if Jesus understands the mystery of joy and persecution because he is God, he holds the world in his hands, he has seen behind the curtain of all that God is doing, even during very difficult times, then these are words that we should listen to, that we can learn from, that we can find tremendous amount of comfort in. And we should asking ourselves, instead of, how is it possible to to rejoice and be glad when you are being afflicted? We should be asking the question, I don't understand what it's like to rejoice and be glad, but can you help me understand what that looks like? Not only does Jesus know persecution, but we have the benefit of now, see, we, this passage was written as the start of his ministry. We have the benefit of looking back on his life. We have the benefit of looking at a life of Jesus coming to this world, living a sinless life, dying our death and yet without sin, dying a sinner's death and yet was perfect, being buried, being humiliated, being persecuted, being killed, and, and, and raising from the dead and ascending into heaven in glory and pursuing all of this, as he says himself, with joy. And so we have the benefit of looking at Christ and his life, and he wasn't just a a man who 
who talked the talk, but he walked the walk, and he is a living example today that his words are true, that they are God's words. And so I want to look at two things as we get into this passage, two main things, the relevance of persecution, because I think that's important to, to look at, and also just the response to persecution, just simple things. Is this relevant? Is persecution relevant today? And how do we respond to it? So let's ask ourselves, persecution. I mean, think about that. I, I, I often think about persecution and, and biblical persecution, and I think things are not the way they used to be. I mean, is this really relevant? I mean, we don't live in first century early church where people are being killed for their faith. We don't see this in our world. I mean, should we just skip over that portion because it doesn't impact us at all? But I would say that it is extremely relevant, even more relevant today than ever before. I want you to look at a, a couple of these global stats. 2.2 billion Christians worldwide. That's about 32% of the world's population claims to be some kind of Christian. 200 million Christians are suffering active persecution in our world. 70 million Christians have been killed since the time of Jesus. That's 300 Christians killed every day. That's 15, 15 Christians will be killed for their faith just in the amount of time it takes for us to gather for worship. One Christian is killed every five minutes. To give you some kind of perspective, car accidents among the leading causes of deaths in the United States account for 100 deaths a day. Three times the amount of car accidents. Christians suffer death. And this doesn't even include those who are persecuted, those who suffer imprisonment, those who suffer beatings and torture, those who are kicked out of their homes and their, uh, their cities, those who are, who are, everything has been taken from them, their families, their rights, their possessions, and, and everything they have. The United States has only 11% of the world's Christians. And so a vast majority of Christians don't even live in the U.S. They live somewhere else. Christians, uh, American Christians, well, uh, America has been called the, the Disneyland of Christianity, I think for some appropriate reason. Most Christians don't live in that context. Most people don't live in that context. Here's a, a map from um, a ministry that, that serves martyrs and, and Christians suffering persecution, Voice of Martyrs. Their website's persecution.com. And I'll be using some of the, these stats come from them, and, and a lot of these stories that we'll be talking about today come from them. And here's a map of just the over 60 countries that have active uh, persecution of Christians, where the most basic human rights and fundamental rights are taken away, where they're punished, where they're killed because of their Christian faith. And we, we anticipated this today, we finish up the Beatitudes, and we wanted to spend a special amount of time talking about the relevance of persecution and really praying for the persecuted church worldwide. And so today is a, a little different, um, but it's still, we still, our aim is still uh, God's word to, to get meaning out of this, to see how it's relevant to our life, and we can't help ignore that we have millions of brothers and sisters in Christ who are in threat of their life. Their life is in danger. Here's a few countries, um, won't go through all 60. Um, North Korea is the worst place for Christians to live the worst place for Christians. Right now, there's over 30,000 Christians that are in prison right now. Uh, they spend 15 hours a day in uh, very hard 
physical, manual labor. They sleep on concrete floors. They wake up every day and they do that. 40% of these 30,000 will die just of starvation uh, because they eat maybe a little portion a day, if anything at all. In North Korea, it's the country all the way to the right. This is going to be a geography lesson because I'll probably fail at it too. But all the way to the right on the top there is North Korea. Just saying the word Jesus, God, carrying a Bible is punishable by death. And still, there are estimated 100,000 Christians meeting secretly in North Korea, worshiping together, risking life every single day. <coughs> Nigeria is another country um, that, suffer, that is a horrible place to live if you're a Christian. Just this past summer, uh, you probably see it in the news, 100 militants came into uh, to a town, uh, part of the terrorist group Boko Haram, swarmed a predominantly Christian town, uh, burned their churches, set fire to other businesses, kidnapped two, over 200 uh, young girls, forced them to abandon their faith. Even though half of Nigeria, the majority of Nigeria is Christian, 51% of the country is Christian, it is still an extremely hostile place for Christians. Iraq is a complicated mixture of religious freedom and increasing religious freedom as well as increasing persecution for Christians. The last 10 years alone, there have, have been over 35,000 Christians forced out of, out of Iraq, forced out of their homes. And most, most recently, as you probably are aware, the Islamic State gave Christians an ultimatum, leave the area, convert to Islam, or be killed. And now all the churches in Mosul are controlled by the Islamic State. Um, virtually all Christians have left or been killed or converted, been forced to convert. So when we think of Christian persecution, we might think of this brutal environment in the first century church with the apostles and Rome and emperors and Caesar and, and Christians dying for their faith. But there is no time in Christianity, in the history of Christianity, where there are more Christians being killed for their faith than right now. It's extremely relevant. This passage is extremely relevant for us to be aware of. But so we talk a little global, globally, it's also good to know, okay, so what about locally? What about in our lives? Is, is Christian persecution a, a reality for us? And here's a verse in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3. Paul says this, Indeed, all who, desire, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. The truth is that you and I and anyone else who lives the way God wants them to live will be persecuted. Because there is something that never goes out of date, and that is the tension between what God says and the world. The world being not, not, not the physical world, but the, the way the Bible uses that term, the world. Any thoughts or ideas or values or ambitions that are against the glory of God, that never goes out of date. There will always be that reality. And this is what Jesus means when he says, persecuted for righteousness sake. There is something that happens when a person chooses to, to live, to think, to behave to, in such a way that is glorifying to God and motivated primarily by their love for Jesus that sets us up in contrast to the world. Anytime we make a decision in our life to, to love God that is rooted in, in, in his love, we make ourselves open to persecution. 
So it's the kind of persecution that might come to you because given an option, you chose to obey God, no matter what pressure you receive culturally or otherwise. You choose to follow your conscience that is informed by God's word. The reason for this kind of persecution, you think, well, why does this happen? Why is this kind of persecution happening uh, to, to people? Why are there diff- differing values? And when that happens, why does somebody hate the other and, and want to, to hurt the other? It's because anytime a Christian says, this is a value that I'm living for, this is something I believe, just like anything, it automatically reflects on that other value and is judgmental on that value. For instance, if I say, if I choose to exercise sexual purity in my life, then it welcomes ridicule from those who want sexual freedom. If I choose to be honest in the workplace and even get denied for a job or a promotion because I want to maintain integrity and honesty, it welcomes punishment from those who want freedom to be dishonest in their business practices. It's like this illustration where you, you go to a party and, and there's like a $20 limit and everybody brings a gift and you, you stay within that limit and you're proud of your gift and then someone comes in a little late with like a flat screen TV <laughs> and, 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 and you say, I don't, I don't like that guy because he makes my gift look, now look dumb. Who does he think he is kind of one-upping me saying his gift is better than mine? Let's take him out back and kill him. I mean, that's, that's the natural progression, right? We think, it in our, we, think it, we think it in our heart. You know you do. So I want you to take that feeling. You know what that feels like when you're, when you're like, okay, I want, it's just the gift. It's the, the idea that matters. But, you, but at the end of the day, you think, no, I feel, I feel like my gift isn't good enough now because their gift is better. And any time we choose to love God, to make a decision based on his word, we are, saying, we are opening ourselves up to that kind of feeling. That kind of, it it attacks self-righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus. He says, if anyone is persecuted for righteousness' sake, they're they're opening themselves up to this kind of persecution because it challenges self-righteousness. Jesus says, my good is better than your good, so trust in me, follow me. And self-righteousness says, but I like my good. I want to be good, and I like the thing that I am wanting to give. It's good, and it's important, and how dare you say it's not good? And as we work through this entire passage of the Beatitudes, that's Jesus' message. The message is, my good is better than your good. <coughs> I'll say this, sometimes it's, we think that we're being persecuted when really we're not. I think we shouldn't be too easy to take out that persecution stamp every time we're being mistreated. Uh, because uh, persecution is people hating us because they truly hate Jesus, not because they, they hate us or something that we've done for them. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted on my account. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of me. Not because of you, because of me. Sometimes people hate us because we're rude. Sometimes people don't like us, don't want to be around us because we are not kind people. That's not persecution. Be careful not to take that out too quickly. If you get fired because you're a, and you happen to be a Christian, you might just be like a really lazy worker. It's not Christian persecution. Your life may not be threatened, but you may be ridiculed. You may be mistreated. You may be afflicted. You may be belittled. You may be exploited. These are, these are kinds of persecution. Death is not the only kind of persecution. And so we see that this 
is powerfully relevant for Christians today, no matter where they live, whether we live here in America or somewhere else. A certain kind of persecution in other countries where people are in prison, where their lives are at risk, where they're forced to, <clears throat> to convert, where they're not allowed to actually worship God, and yet we worship freely. We are allowed to worship. We're allowed to sing praises. We're allowed to, we're protected against our worship being disrupted. And yet there are other, we, other forms of persecution that we might experience. And whatever it is, it's relevant for us. And so I think it's good for us to think, how can we respond to this passage? How does this passage, now knowing that we, uh, that, that, every, that every Christian is, uh, opens themselves up to a certain kind of persecution, how should we respond to this? The first is that understand that persecution is a means to joy. This word glad is interesting where Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. You would really think that Jesus was being insensitive at this point, because what he is telling these people, he's saying, your death, your life is on the line, you may die, you may have everything taken from you, but he is literally saying, cheer up. Brighten up. Cheer up. And it's something that you, you just want to sock the guy for saying this, I would, I would, I would imagine. And, and I want to read these three verses again, uh, in another translation, a translation that, that's not literal word for word, but more idea for idea. Um, I'm going to read from the message. Uh, we're making history here at Holy Cross. Uh, it's never happened before. Um, but it fits well here, and some of you might think you're going to come up to me afterwards and you say, that was awesome, can we read from the message every week? The answer is no. Um, but, but I think it's going to be really helpful for us. So let's read um, Matthew 5 again, verses 10 to 12 in the message. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth, that truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You could be glad when this happens. Give cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And now that you are, and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten this kind of treatment. If we look for them, we will see countless stories of, of Christians around the world who believe in this passage, who are, whose lives manifest this reality, where they are glad when they are persecuted. Not that they seek it out and want it, but they are, have you ever encountered someone who has, has been a part of such affliction in their life? And they say, I would never wish this on anyone, but I'm so glad it has happened to me. Who are these crazy people? Right now, there are 43 Christians, Christian pastors in Tanzania who are in prison awaiting trial to be executed. And if convicted of blasphemy, they will be put to death. And all 43 pastors in Tanzania were former Muslims, and their small groups, their churches are filled with former Muslims. And they have admitted that they are very afraid. But what... How, why they are afraid might really surprise you, and it surprised me. They're not afraid of jail. They have done that. They've spent a lot of time in jail, and they're not afraid of it. They've gotten used to it. They're not afraid of death, even. 
They are afraid, and when asked them, what really makes you afraid then? They said, we're afraid that we'll have to stop telling people about Jesus if we are dead. When asked, why don't you just go someplace safe? If you want to be a pastor and do ministry, go someplace where your life is not threatened. And one pastor just quotes from Jeremiah 20 and says, there's a burning fire in my heart, and I'm tired of holding it in, and I cannot anymore. He understands this passage. He feels blessed. He believes it. He sees the mystery of joy and persecution. Small village outside Chiapas, Mexico, they have a sign in the entrance of this village that says, no Christians allowed. And four families have been recently kicked out of their homes, banished to the surrounding wilderness, where they began to prepare the ground to construct a small shelter to live in. One man, Feliciano, was asked, was it worth it? Was your faith worth everything that has happened to you and your family? There is no running water. There is no electricity. Every possession of theirs was taken from them. And his answer to that question was this. My only regret is that I didn't become a Christian sooner. He says, our persecution has taught me that God is faithful. He took our houses. He took our harvest. They jailed us. But we know what true freedom is. There's a German name, a German man, uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. Recently began reading his biography written by Eric Metaxas. And this is just an amazing book. He was a pastor, a theologian, a spy in Germany. He was executed for his role in the assassination of Adolf Hitler, or in his plot to assassinate Hitler. And less than 24 hours before he was put to death, he was held prisoner with a bunch of other people. And he was holding a church service with these people. And one of the prisoners who lived recalls this, and he writes down his last conversation with Bonhoeffer, and it went like this. He had hardly finished his last prayer when the door opened, and two evil-looking men in civilian clothes came in and said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, get ready to come with us. Those words, come with us, for all prisoners, they had to, come, they had to mean one thing, the scaffold. We bade him goodbye, goodbye. He drew me aside. This is the end, he said. For me, the beginning of life. So I ask again, who are these ridiculous people, these crazy people? How many people who died for their faith would say something like this, God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for that persecution. There have been people that have seen behind the curtain and know so deeply and embrace so real, realistically, like what the martyr Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Anyone who truly understands the grace of God that they have received will have a changed life. That's the gospel. The gospel is not a salvation by works. It is not a gospel of salva a, a salvation by the law. It is not a salvation by cheap grace. It is a salvation by very costly grace. Jesus is, is inviting us to find anchor in him. And by the time we get to Matthew 10, if you haven't been with us, just look briefly over 
these previous passages, we've, to get to 10, Jesus has been through all the Beatitudes at this point. At this point. We've passed through verses 3 through 9 that all say one thing, that a true state of blessedness is not found in what we can do for God, but in what he has done for us in Jesus Christ. And then we make him our great treasure. Jesus is inviting us to find anchor in him, to orient our lives around him, to, to let everything that we do, our, our hopes, our motivation, how we spend our time and our resources, everything in our life, seeing this not as fragmented and broken off pieces in our life where we have work and family and church and recreation, but everything in our life flowing out of this anchor and this treasure. Why do you do what you do? What are your motivating principles in your life for why you choose to do what you do in your life? How far down on that list is love for Jesus? If that is not the number one thing, I'm doing this, I'm, I'm orienting my life, I'm making these decisions for my family, for my children, for my work, for anything, because of my motivation to know Christ, to love him, and to manifest his nature and character in my life. We experience, I think, when we do that, we experience this mystery of joy in persecution. We experience what all these others experience when they are put to the test and they're joyful. Romans chapter 8 is probably one of the most loved chapters in Scripture, maybe even without knowing it. Sometimes when there are difficulties in life, whether they be persecution or affliction or just feeling really discouraged, uh, when you're having a hard time when something tragedy happens to you, you might go to Romans chapter 8 without even knowing it. There are a lot of memorable verses there. In verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, who can separate us from the love of God? 37, we are more than conquerors through whom through him who loved us. And verse 38, neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height or death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We might go to Romans 8 to find comfort in times of trouble, but I want to say this, this is not the main point. It is a point. It's not the main point of Romans 8 is not to make us feel comfortable. The main point is to communicate one thing to us about God. God has a plan, he is king over all, and he will never, ever fail. Let me put it another way. If you truly have Jesus, if you truly believe that your reward is in heaven, and that surpasses all other treasure, all other kind of joy or happiness, then who cares what your friends think? Who cares about those who mock you? Who cares if you are ridiculed at work for the decisions you make? Who cares if you miss out on some minor treasure because of embracing your greater treasure, Jesus? And for many Christians, who cares if I lose everything, even my own life, if I have Christ? That's what it looks like to really believe in Romans 8. That's what it really means to believe that if God is for us, who can be against us? 
that nothing can separate me from the love of God, then everything I do with a name of, uh, in Christ's name and for him, you will never be sorry. Even if it means you miss out on some things now. And so having this fearless faith to hold on to Christ, to live for him, to pursue righteousness, it's the result of knowing how great a treasure the grace of Christ is. The more we grow in the grace of Christ, the more we will grow in our joy and contentment in him. We talk about the grace of God so much here. We talk about the gospel so much because it is, it is everything. It is the fountain from which everything in our life flows. Because Christ is all. And our reward in heaven is greater. Our reward in heaven is greater than any treasure. And so it's interesting because you read this and, and you want to go to Scripture to get that treasure now. Like, what about my ward, reward right now? I mean, I'd, I'd love something right now. And where there is benefit of the present, I think what Christ is wanting us to do is, is broaden our perspective on, on how we see life. Because when difficulty comes, our, our view gets more narrow and narrow and narrow. I mean, they even say this, experts uh, even say this when, when you're doing a task, whether it's driving or something else, when you are frustrated, when you are rushed, when you are impatient, when something, when you're anxious, your vision becomes more narrower and narrower and narrower. That's why accidents are more prone to happen on the road when you are rushed, when you're angry, when you're, uh, when you're frustrated, is because you're not aware of what's going on around you. Your vision goes closer and closer to the center, and that's all you see. Jesus is wanting to broaden that vision. He's wanting to pull around the, cur the, the curtain and say, you know, there's something really wonderful in store. Your reward in heaven, I want you to live life from that perspective. That to have me as treasure means that you have all the treasure. You know, in the book of Acts, the apostle Peter and, and other apostles were arrested for teaching about Jesus. They were arrested, they were beaten, they were threatened that if it would happen again, they would be killed. And here's what happens in Acts chapter 5, verse 41 and 42. They, then they, they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor, for his name, and, and every day in the temple from, and from house to house they did not cease teaching and preaching that the, Christ, that, that the Christ is Jesus. They were beaten, they were imprisoned, they were threatened, and they were kicked out, and they looked at each other and said, that was awesome. <laughs> Let's do it again. So we respond by this, by, by rooting our heart in our mind, in the joy of knowing Jesus. And whether it be persecution, whether it be something else, we are anchored in him, that he is our greatest treasure. Another thing we can do is to learn about the persecuted church, to be mindful of the persecuted church. Romans 13 says this, remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are all in the body. There's this great picture here, and, and the context of Hebrews was during the time of uh, most likely during the time of Nero and great persecution in Rome where Christians were being uh, wrapped in dead animal carcasses and fed to lions alive and they were, um, they were dying. The, the church was forced underground. And their life, if, if you were a Christian, you were going to die. Good chance of it. 
But if you were somehow found safety, if you were able to uh, escape, remember those who are in prison as if you are with them because we are all part of one body. You know, the idea of autonomy, the idea of, hey, it's happening over there, out of sight, out of mind. Uh, you know, they're kind of in a pickle. They're in a, in a real tough place, but I'm not. And so I, can, I feel bad for them. But, but the author here of Hebrews is, is inviting us to see that these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we can learn about the church. And, and Voice of Martyrs does a great job of this. And uh, persecution.com, I mean, you can sign up for a monthly newsletter. Um, I've done that. And, and it's not just, all, I know your, your hesitation might be, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to just feel bad all the time. But I tell you, it, it, it actually does the opposite because it, it's testimony of actually the, of, of, of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people who trust in him. Uh, you read these stories, your heart breaks. You have to pause because it's so painful, but then you feel your heart expands with a love for God and a love for others because you see God working. You see that his church is not overtaken. You see that God wins even in the lives of people. These stories of faith are tremendously encouraging. It's easy to have this out of sight, out of mind, and I hope that God's word would stir us up to not only have courage to have a bold faith, but have compassion for those who are, who are suffering. And I think another thing we can do is, is honestly just pray. And that's what I wanted to do today as we consider the persecuted church, as we consider our church, we consider the church in the global church, that we would pray for Christians who are persecuted. And you might think, well, if persecution is good, Maybe we should pray for more of it. <laughs> if persecution is good, is it bad to pray against it? And I would say, um, actually, the Bible gives us a great, gives us permission and a paradigm to actually pray for protection. Just because persecution is a means of sanctification and a means of joy doesn't mean that we should not want it to happen. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, again, said people were so connected with the life of Christ and so passionate about knowing Christ and identifying with him in his death and resurrection and their hearts were on fire, that they were actually picking fights to be killed. And the writer of Hebrews says, wait a minute, like don't try to get persecuted. If persecution comes, then, then trust in Christ, trust in his provision and love for you, that your reward is great in heaven, and you can treasure him even in the midst of this suffering. But don't go looking for a fight. And so I want to say that to you as well. Persecution is a, is a means for joy. It's a means uh, for our sanctification. But don't look for it. Don't go picking fights with people. Don't pick hot topics to, to get attention from others uh, and then blame them for persecuting you. There's something to living a peaceful life, to being at peace with all men as, as, as much as we are able, as far as it depends on us. But when persecution comes, we, we pray for his provision, his protection, as we should. You could avoid suffering, and we should try. This is being a good steward of your life. And so what I want to do is I want to spend some time in prayer. I'd like to pray. And uh, my prayer will just be a, uh, maybe a little bit longer than a closing prayer than normal. Uh, but don't worry. It's not going to be like you know, your, that story your uncle tells you that just like never ends. Uh, I, I, what I want to do is a couple things. I want, to, I, want to, I, want you to inter, I want you to participate with me in the sense that you are listening to the words that I pray, that you are asking God to give you compassion for the church that is persecuted, that as we pray for protection for our church, that you would 
not just listen to the pastor who's praying about something that would be great if it happened, but that you would see yourself as part of the body, uh, that you would be built up in this, in this time of prayer, and that you would not just let it end here, but you would take it from our time of worship, that you would uh, not be gloomy about it, but be sober about um, persecution in the church, and that you would pray for the Lord's protection. Um, so let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what can we possibly say? It's easy to lose words, to fail, to come up with something eloquent and something that will be effective in bringing comfort to those who are hurting. We pray for those 43 pastors in Tanzania who are imprisoned right now. They are waiting to hear if their lives will be taken from them. We thank you for your your provision in their lives to give them faith, to give them courage to pursue you, to see you as their greatest treasure. And we pray for protection. We pray for your justice, Lord. We know that you are a God of justice, that wickedness is not okay, that you hate it, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. And we ask that your kingdom would come, that you would rule over those situations even now, and that you would be with them. I pray your presence would be, would be felt in a, in a tremendous way for these pastors. And also for those who are, have been in their churches that have trusted in you, that this would not be an opportunity to weaken their faith, but, but a time to sanctify them and, and encourage them, and a time where they will run even quicker to you and, and learn of the, depth, the depths of your grace in a more fuller way. I pray for North Korea and the tens of thousands of, of prisoners there, the, the hard labor that they experience every morning as they get up, being torn from their families and, and working, and, and many of them starving, and the increasing hostile environment there in North Korea, that you would, that you would allow your, your mercy to be experienced. I pray for the Christian schools in Ukraine who have been shut down and burned and many have been forced out. I pray for the Christians there who are in fear of their life. And for the Christians in Iraq, those that may still be there for the increasing hostility. For the children who have been ripped away from their families and just the countless broken hearts God, we know that you are, are the good physician that, and the good shepherd, that you gather your children under your wing and you, um, you call them to yourselves and you bring great comfort, that unspeakable comfort. You give them a, a peace that, per, that passes all understanding. And we can't even imagine un, until we're in those situations to know how much you love us. I pray for our local climate here in the United States, in Arizona, in Tucson. Lord, I thank you for that we are a country that can worship in freedom without fear of persecution. I thank you that there are many that have gone before us and have lost their lives for that to happen. We thank you for your provision in that way. And I, I ask for your protection that the church in America would thrive and increase in, in, in our freedom that you would allow 
different jurisdiction, different uh, agencies, different um, legislatures to have courage to protect that freedom, to be a champion for you. Lord, we know that your legislation can't make people moral or change hearts. And so we ask that people would come to know you above everything else, that they would know you, Jesus, that they would know your grace and your gospel and their lives would be changed because of the love that they have in you. And that we would be a people here at Holy Cross that would dig deeper into who you are, that we would learn how to view our, our own persecution, whether it be um, hostility at work or in our neighborhoods, whether it be feeling belittled or um, ridiculed, whether we, be, whether we are in fear of punishment for doing the right thing, whether we lose friendships or relationships or a voice with others because of the decisions we make, whatever that is, I pray that we would we count it all loss, all the benefit of everything else to knowing you, that you'd be our greatest treasure and that we would have courage to, to, to live a bold, a bold faith, living out of a conviction that is rooted in, in your word. And so be with us as we, we go from here as your church. We remember uh, our brothers and sisters who do not have it like we have, but Lord, there's a privilege that they have that we don't have. There's a depth of, of your love that we don't know. And so protect them and be with them. And let us never forget uh, their afflictions. And let us turn to you in every moment. In Jesus' name, amen. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.